Hey, bud, you should be live. How's everyone doing? Um, oh, guys. Today we're doing a, a third, po third podcast in the series. Uh, this one's on working in esports. If anyone's interested in having a career in esports or um, or doing it for a hobby, I guess, or anything, this is a good place to be. Starting a company, anything you want to do, I think we've got some great people to give some really good knowledge here. Um, I'm just start off, I'm, I'm Pete from Endpoint, I'm the co-owner and COO. Um, I recently started doing esports full time as well and growing our business over the last three years. So I'll be your host today. And um, yeah, we just introduce ourselves. And Nay, if you want to start? Yeah, sure. So I'm, I'm Heather or Nay, as most people in the industry will know me. I've probably been around for about eight years now, nearly nine. Um, started off all from streaming World of Warcraft, absolutely nobody in my university dorms to having the opportunity to go stream and work with brand um, brands and being like an influencer when that became a thing and, you know, had a TV show, then worked at ESL as a marketing director. So I had quite a vast experience of lots of different things. So I'm sure it will help with today's conversation on uh, different journeys and um, avenues into the world of esports. Cool. Hi, everyone. I'm uh, Dominic Sacco or Dom. Uh, I first got into esports uh, around four years ago. Well, I've been following it a lot longer. Uh, I set up Esports News UK, which is an online publication focused on the UK esports scene, predominantly around League of Legends. My background before that has been in journalism. I worked as a journalist for more than a decade now. Uh, so my background is written content. And I'm also the head of content at the British Esports Association, a not-for-profit set up to promote and support grassroots esports. So... Uh, yeah, delighted to be on the panel today. Hi everyone, um, my name's Rich. I'm the managing director at Hitmarker Jobs. Um, been there for two and a half years now, um, and that was my first entry into the industry. Was kind of starting up a business. Um, loved it so far. Hope to be involved for a lot longer. Hi everyone, uh, I'm Rob Black, or as uh, some people know, might know me, Morg. Uh, I've been involved in esports now for hmm, a long time, uh, player since 2003, um, involved in sort of the business of esports since about 2006. Um, recently, uh, I was uh, the COO of ESL UK, uh, and I'm currently working on a startup uh, that's, that's in stealth mode. Awesome. Yeah, and so I'm sure anyone's but watching. Yeah, My ears perked up. <laughs> Hot drop there, no one's got it yet. Um, so, right, um, yeah, so as everyone's just heard, we've got a great variety of people today. Um, I think to start off by, I mean, some people are in the gaming industry, they love playing games, they love, you know, whatever game it is, Counter-Strike, Valorant that's now, or, or whatever, um, and they want to work in esports, but some people find their way into esports um, who weren't in it previously. I mean, did you guys start off in the gaming sector have you always wanted to work in gaming if you is it something that um you've just fallen into or is it something you you've worked your way towards to get to get into yeah should i should i go yeah, first go maybe go so i obviously as a kid grew up playing pc games all the time and like my dad worked in it so i was very interested in pcs and playstations and all sorts and i was very much guided as an education to go down a stem topic which then allowed for me to have quite a lot of involvement with like tech-based industries. And I was saying to my teachers when I was 15, I'm going to work in the gaming industry. And they were like, that doesn't even really exist. Like that you, you can't have that as an ultimate goal. You need to be a scientist or a pharmaceutical person or, you know, and I was like, okay, fine. So I stayed on that steady track, but I always knew in my heart of hearts that some way, somehow 
either do it as a hobby and be very very dedicated to the hobby or hopefully the industry would grow enough to have a job which has been very lucky situation of how everything's played out but yeah I think like particularly for some kid at school just being like a wild child and being like I'm gonna work in gaming and then just going oh my god what is she even considering um so yeah it's it's kind of it's nice now that teachers have me actually on Facebook and they see what I'm up to and they're like oh she makes a living from gaming kudos so yeah I think it's been a nice um goal to strive towards even if it was just a hobby I would have been very happy with how that would have turned out I think I was quite similar uh, uh to you uh Heather although mm-hmm. I'm a little bit older so when I was what got me into games was obviously the games themselves but I, I grew up reading a lot of the games magazines like Games Master and official Nintendo magazine nice. and, and things like that. So mm. I, I liked, Eng- I was good at English at school as well. I wasn't really good at mm. any other subjects. So journalism sort of appealed to me uh, at a young age. And, you know, I remember going to a careers fair at my school, at my secondary school. I was about probably 12, 13 years old, 14 years old. And the the, the journalism stand was completely empty. And when I walked up to it with my dad, the guy behind the desk was seemed really happy that someone had walked up to the stand. And he basically said, it's not so much what you know, especially at a young age, it's who you know. So make contacts. And um, he said, is there any way you like? And I was like, yeah, Nintendo magazine. So he said, well, call them up. And I did. And they gave me a tour of the office. You know, you don't get if you don't ask. And uh, from that tour, I went on to secure work experience there. And then from there, I knew... Uh, this is what I wanted to do. And then when I finished nice. university, of course, the internet started uh, expanding and games magazines now aren't really uh, very relevant or not, at least not as much as they used to, but I built up the skills to go down that route. And then I ended up launching my own site, um, which I still do in my spare time, but that's a good route in, you know, to to volunteer, do work experience if you can. Um, obviously it's difficult given the current circumstances, but I think building up a portfolio of work and building up your CV really helps and it shows prospective employers that you're willing to put the work in. Um, I'm not saying work for free for months on end. I'm saying a week or two here, build up your portfolio of work and then that will help you open doors for paid work in the future. Yeah, I think there's actually a couple of interesting points on that. So before you go, Richard, I mean, the, the, if you don't get, you don't ask is, is in my opinion, one of the top you know um advice things to do i mean obviously there's a certain way of doing it you don't just nag everyone in, in yeah. an annoying way who's never going to give you a job who's never you want. but yeah um and if someone says no it means no right you know um but at the same and at the same time um yeah the whole working for free thing we've always had the ethos endpoint is never we don't we don't ask people to work for free we always pay people but and maybe that's bad in the sense of um finances but i think at the same time you're gonna get a better people to work for mm. you're gonna get more loyal people you're gonna get more people that i think and your, your general uh, brands can have a better um you know vibe around it and and whatever but uh, yeah richard yeah keep going, keep going. Um, yeah so probably more similar to dom than heather i don't think i ever knew that it was a possibility going all the way through school and high school and everything mm. um always played games like Dom had uh, always read the game and magazines, watched Games Master, was kind of as involved in that scene as in any other kind of hobby scene, but never put two and two together to realise that there was kind of a career path here. Didn't have any teachers or any mentors or parents weren't aware that they could force me down that road. And instead it was the typical like 
be a dentist, do something like that. That's going to earn a lot of money. And it's like, there's always going to be a need. Uh, so I did my work experience at a dentist and decided after that one week that I did not want to be a dentist. I'd seen too much in that one in that one week and I didn't want to see any more. Um, and then I went down the typical path of just like going to university because everyone else was going to university. Mm. I think I always did well, like Dom said as well, at English and history and the kind of uh, writing subjects at school. So followed that path with no clear idea of what I was going to do. Dropped out of university once, dropped out of uni university twice, um, gave it a couple of years until I realized um, sports is my other love, like traditional sport and football mm. in particular. Um, and by that point, I'd been alerted to the fact that there were jobs, kind of what's starting to happen in esports now around the teams and the players. There were a lot of support staff jobs that were popping up and becoming a, like, a legitimate career path. Um, so I went back to university for a third time, uh, stuck it out this time, got a degree in sports coaching and performance analysis. Um, and that was my entry into the professional scene. Um, coming into gaming was kind of because my brother, like um, Rob said, has been in the scene since the early 2000s. Um, and he kind of dragged me out of sports and into esports. But it's great because I'm really familiar with the gaming industry. Um, esports has been kind of a, a new thing to learn over the last two and a half years because I was only ever aware of like competitive Call of Duty and FIFA, to be totally honest, beforehand. Um, but it feels like I've kind of found the place where I'm supposed to be now, which is really good. That's awesome. Very cool. Um, yeah, I mean, it's, it was a weird journey, I guess, for, uh, for me. Um, I think uh, having been a part of esports for, for quite a long time, um, you know, we, we always talk about the industry being a nascent industry. Um, and of, of course it is, and it's going through a lot of rapid change at the moment. Um, you know, you go back sort of, 15 years and and it was just a community um yes there was some some big events happening and you know there was a lot of non uh, there was a lot of endemic um support coming into the scene even sort of 15 years ago um but uh, the changes that that have come about in sort of particularly the last um six seven years um are just incredible to see um and i, I think you know back when I first was getting really heavily involved, I, I had no, uh, no idea that, or, or, or no, um, plan that, that this would be a career for me. Um, you know, uh, having played, uh, as I'm sure all of us sat in the channel, played a lot at school, have lots of different types of video games, um, you know, really big, uh, gaming fan. The first game that really caught my attention in terms of, uh, multiplayer competitive format was the original call of duty. Um, sunk way too many hours into that game. Um, I say way too many. I mean, I still enjoy it and I wouldn't take it back. So maybe not too many hours. Um, but, uh, yeah, I think, you know, it, it um, it, it never occurred to me, um, as a, as a kid growing up that I could go and work in, in esports or in the competitive gaming um, that I was involved in. Um, I spent an awful lot of time in my uh, late teens and early 20s um, working. Um, I say working. It wasn't really working because it was just a passion. And, you know, it was my free time and um, spent on, you know, uh, coaching teams or um, setting up um, ProMod for COD4 and admining events and you know it was it was great and i and i really loved it but it, it it never felt like at any point soon it would be able to be a full-time career for me um so i always had 
my eye on other things outside of um, gaming and esports. Um, and I think that that's probably helped me in a way in terms of like getting more experience um, outside of esports that now I can bring into uh, what I do um, within esports. Um, but uh, yeah, I mean, we're, we're in a completely different place now. And, you know, if I was talking to, uh, I don't know, a brother or somebody who, who was like 16, 17 now, and they wanted to get into esports, um, there's just so much more opportunity. Um, mm -hmm. there's, there's, there's not necessarily clearly defined career paths, but there are a lot of clearly defined careers out there. Um, you know, if you're interested in, in broadcast and um that side of things then you know you can you can go and work for um companies like face it and esl and other production companies that are out there you know if you're really interested in the team side of things or the perhaps sports psychology type of things and you know there's a lot out there as well so i i think that's the biggest thing that i've seen as a difference um mm. and you know that's why i can't really say uh, you know, if, if I had gone, if if I was like seventeen now, I think I probably would really have a clear idea of how I would want to work to be working in games in the future, um, and that like the change in in the industry it, like is still coming, and obviously in you know, the next five ten years it's going to be hugely different as well. I definitely feel like I was the start of a newer generation that was definitely like a lot because I am uh, considered a bit younger than you guys by a couple of school years so um you know I definitely was no offense to anyone um, no, I'm probably more <laughs> I've probably got more gray hair than any of you anyway combined so it's fine um so um I definitely grew up you know the iPhone had come out it was you know all these new tech trends were definitely on the rise and I definitely feel I was the start of a generation that could see Oh, that I could go work in games, and I didn't. Mm. I didn't necessarily at school think, oh, esports, because you know that I would be lying. Then that's not just a thing. But what I loved was the whole aspect of gaming and content creation around gaming. I used to make like mini videos of stills and stuff like really sad stuff that has finally got me somewhere, thank God. But um, you know, so I, and I definitely feel like there's a, a generation after me now that kind of know the industry exists and says that's my career path which is really strange for me as well my brother's 21 and he's doing game design at university and my sister will probably follow in a very similar uh situation in some form and capacity and like what's really bizarre about that is like they have the ability to go study and and specialize but i think like both my kind of generation and and the the people that have been involved far longer than i we had an ability to merge passions with skill set and i think a lot of people go i have this passion so now i'm going to learn the skill set to go mm -hmm. to the passion whereas we were like hey we've worked in lots of other like really useful industry jobs um and now actually we can transfer those skills into the esports industry rather than creating our skill set for the industry so i think there's also a shift in dynamic of like what's actually available in terms of signposting and, and education and just general involvement of, of it for now. Like there is definitely 13 year olds. I've gone to primary schools and done career talks with like a room of 64 year old, five year old kids and, and a little bit older. And they all say that they want to work in gaming and they want to be chefs and they know that they can, you know, be a translator for a French team. Like it's, it's literally mm -hmm. like mind boggling the generation that's growing up that, will now choose it as a definite career mm. path. Yeah, I think it actually brings on to the next topic quite well, actually, is that 
like what's the cl- current climate in, in jobs and it would be good to have i mean so richard um owns always ceo i don't know a lot but it's the ceo of um hitmarker who in my opinion are the you know right now they're the number one kind of you know what if you want a job in esports go check their website out they've got tons mm-hmm. of listings uh we just um had a job on there so our social media manager uh, we've got 70 applicants great really good process nice and easy um mm-hmm. free free to use unless you want to pay for added benefits um so i i'd very much recommend checking out so it'd be great to hear what your thoughts are on the climate are but at the same time what the risks are because uh, for mm-hmm. people who don't know rob and nay were previously esl and the whole department got cut and obviously there's going to be you know adjustments in terms of um yes there are tons of jobs coming but at the same time there are tons of startups who are vulnerable to going bust or going so i guess that's yeah great to hear about that but yeah, I think it's a really good point, and thank you for the plug, by the way. Um, <laughs> it, it's let's. I think I think you intended to speak about it separately, but I think it's probably good to talk about the way that esports jobs were before COVID nineteen and coronavirus mm. hit, and kind of the point that we'd reached there, because obviously the game has changed a little bit. Um, the situation with um, Heather and Rob was quite shocking to us at mm. Hitmarker because ESL were the first company to ever sign up on Hitmarker, the first company that we ever posted a job from way back in mid-2017. And I think they've been seen as such a constant in the UK European esports scene for my whole time here. And it was always the the one company I would think of first if anyone was ever talking about UK esports. They were like right at the top of the tree. Um, so when you see those guys making significant layoffs, and obviously it wasn't just Heather and Rob that were affected, it was like a significant, uh, a significant amount of people um on the back of other companies doing similar things so even before coronavirus like overactive media laid off quite a lot of staff last year um there were a few other companies that were caused to um make layoffs like the infinite gaming um situation and call of duty etc so the scene is definitely still volatile and we obviously post the data in terms of the the total amount of jobs that are available and and we try and share that data as much as possible and the trends are all going in the right direction, right? So like, it's not, people get confused a little bit and think like esports jobs can only be stuff that is for teams and uh, organizations and publishers and the events companies. Um, but like Heather alluded to in an earlier answer, the, the infrastructure around the space has grown up so much that there are kind of every kind of conceivable job mm-hmm. available now in esports to a degree. Um, it's like a ridiculous amount of job titles that are now attached to the scene. So organically and naturally, it has grown up nicely in terms of the requirements for different skill sets. Um, what you mentioned about the startup culture is 100% true. I mean, I don't know how many companies in the scene you could class as not being startup or yeah, at least exactly. having a startup mm. mentality. Um, because budget-wise, there's like a lot of us are still struggling to make a profit across the board. Um, so I do think there's a definite startup culture. But I don't think that's very much different to like... Uh, fintech or more it's i always look at esports as being more of a tech kind of scene because Mm -hmm. it's typically based around technology young founders of most companies who are kind of endemic to that space and have like a niche set of knowledge um and you get a lot of very kind of passionate people who are involved in causes and um trying to solve problems rather than just getting like a nine to five job um so that was my background before i don't think there's too much of a big difference between the traditional sports industry and esports um or the tech industry and esports from personal experience but i think because esports has got such a culture of social media and everything's kind of done in public and it is still quite a small space so kind of everybody knows everybody everybody knows everybody else's dirty laundry um things that happen negatively in the space seem to get amplified like hugely and there's obviously 
outlets that make a living off like um, publicizing certain things that are negative that happen. Um, so I do think this kind of this goldfish bowl, yeah, this uh, goldfish bowl mentality around esports a little bit. Um, but I think it's all kind of promising from when I started to where we are now. It's only been positive in terms of the growth of the jobs in the scene. Obviously, while Hitmark is growing, job applications will grow naturally because your site's growing. So it can be hard to probably, you know, tell the difference. But I, I agree, it does seem to be massively growing. Um, I mean, yeah, I mean, what, I mean, Dom, actually, we'll ask you, what's your mm. thoughts on generally in, um, in the journalism side of things? Obviously, how many content creative writers are actually getting a full-time wage? Or is it more... You think it's more like a kind of you know one-off articles here and there, and it's hard to make a living from them, or it's a good question, yeah. And the space is, um, you know, volatile. Um, I think if you look back as well, games media historically has always been quite volatile. Even when games magazines were doing well, there'd be layoffs left, right, and centre. I heard a story once of this guy who moved from Ireland to the UK to start his new job at a games magazine, and he was there one day. And the publisher decided to can the magazine. He had to go back home. It's just a nightmare. So it's it's quite volatile. And I think in esports as well, a lot of the organisations, a lot of the businesses are very content focused. So as a journalist, it's difficult because you're in a way you're competing with people that weren't historically your competitors. So, or back in the day, you know, sort of 10, 20 years ago, that would have been the case. Um, but it depends on the, the site, it depends on the company. If you look at ESPN, for example, they've got a big, great team of esports writers, Jacob Wolf, etc., and they do streams and things like that. If you land a job at ESPN and you're willing to relocate to the US or if they have remote positions, you know, you can rest assured that that job's going to be relatively safe compared to a smaller yeah. news site that's starting up. I've seen several news sites start up in recent years. Some have come and gone. Uh, I think a lot of them try and do the same thing, which is uh, cover all esports news, whereas people, you know, the communities, you know, esports, it's, um, you know, a fan of CSGO might not be a fan of Smash Brothers, might not be a fan of League of Legends and so on. And that's one of the challenges I have on Esports News UK as well, because I'm trying to write about UK stuff, but also League of Legends and things like that. Um, it depends on the site. Some there are some full-time staff, like I mentioned, the Jacob Wolfs of the world, Dixerto, there's some good full-time staff there. Um, Esports News UK, I run it in my spare time, so I mainly have volunteers and then I'll pay people if, on like a sort of freelance basis, depending on what they do. But, you know, we've had a lot of writers come from uh, my site and go on to secure full-time work at Gfinity or Dixerto or I mean, that's, uh, that's the same as all these places. that's the same as um, actually kind of about what part of our business model is um, at Endpoint is you know the path to pro. It's the same mm. in the job market. Is you know uh, currently we want to get a Counter Strike team to the top in the world, whatever. But currently we're at a spot where we're path to pro almost. You, we're a tier two three team. That mm. if you're yeah. a UK talent, you're thinking right. Um, I want to get to the Australis or whatever uh, or the Face, should we say, because they're more international roster. Yeah. And they go, how do I get there? And they look at the top of the UK scene first, endpoint, and they go, right, I've got to get to them first. And then it's a path to pro, we sell on to the tier one. And it's mm. um, it's the same in the job market. You know, you have to get the experience at the bottom, uh, yeah. the, the smaller the smaller news outlets or the smaller tournament organisers or whatever, to then get a job at the, the top. Yeah. Um, but yeah, I, I mean, even um, uh, Robin Lay, I mean, I'm sure even though ESL went down, you would, you would always take that chance again to go to ESL because the experience you would have got from that now allows you to do what you want to do now. Um, so I'm assuming, 
that's right. And tell me if I'm wrong, but yeah. I mean, so ESL was, was like a great stepping stone for anyone's career, um, and has proved that after January. If you see kind of where everyone's gone to, they've been very successful because you know the hiring process that the UK office went through was hiring the best talent available out there, and the team were built to be very cohesive and understand every element that wasn't relating to your job role you needed to know in some capacity because we're a team and we're executing and delivering this product as as a company and a, as a brand and and as as a family. <laughs> oh my god i'm so sorry <laughs> um darwin should start barking now that's darwin um, that's, yeah, great <laughs> our, our english ringer spaniel um so um well, we'll probably be AFK now to go get that. Um, so <laughs> I think like what what was the, the biggest takeaway from working at a company like ESL was to get noticed, you had to really be reinventing the, the, the circle, whatever that phrase is. Like you needed to be thinking outside of the box and what you were doing prior to your time at ESL. And then at ESL, you were expected to do that tenfold. You were always constantly innovating and bringing something new that it was an industry, it is an industry leading company still in terms of tournament organization. Mm. And, you know, if ESL remained the same, then the flashpoints and the face sits and everything would completely drown them out. So it really showed us that you really had to be dynamic in your thought process and, and go out and, and try new things. And what was really nice about ESL is if you tried something new and it didn't work, fine that that's a learning point and now we grow better as, as a team or as a person and our skill set. Mm. But I definitely think it's um important that no matter what you do you're willing to shift the esports is a very big shift but it can be changed and the direction can shift every kind of you know 10 minutes so to speak and so if you're all doing the same news outlet or you're all doing the same type of video content creation the ones that do it the best that are able to market themselves and whatnot are going to succeed for a longer period of time yeah. but there's no i i think that there's a, a nice perception that there is an abundance of jobs. There isn't. They're limited still. Money still, you know, it comes in dribs and drabs in all businesses. And, you know, they aren't amazing salaries. But I think that's something that's definitely a good upward trend is that salaries are increasing to, um, I would say, comparable to job titles outside of esports. So if you're a, I don't know, marketing manager, you're going to be on a marketing manager wage for your area or for the country um, rather than probably taking a, a vastly lower uh, pay salary um so i think that's a really positive uh, uh kind of spark i think the other thing is job titles and job opportunities in certain fields will come in waves i said about a year ago that we'll suddenly see a huge increase in social and marketing jobs and now basically all i see ever advertised is social media and marketing roles because people are like well now we're changing our business model to be this and we now need the resource to fill this and so I think it's like being open-minded and what you want to do as well um will give you the ability and it doesn't and and the beauty of esports is just because you're a tv presenter doesn't mean you can go on to be a marketing director that's the beauty is that you can use your skill sets and learn and grow into a new role should you want to change your path and direction at any point and I think that's really awesome um thanks Rob for getting my delivery <laughs> The beauty of a live podcast, hey. And um, so yeah, I mean, like, I, I I think I think the common misconception was that, and just to kind of clarify this, that ESL UK was failing. It wasn't. It was just clearly a shift in global operations, and they saw, hey, we think that we need to move in a different direction 
to do something different in what we want to achieve in e- in esports in this manner and that's why we were kind of let go it wasn't because of um any downfallings or anything and uh, you know we I, once again the stress we've all been very lucky to go on to other things because we've had that really useful experience at ESL mm. yeah i would i would say um, that like uh, i mean I think that's going to happen a lot in the next five years with a lot of companies. Even Endpoint can happen, mm. you know, whatever. I'm, I'm sure it sure will um, in points. Um, Anything can happen this year. People don't know how sake. fast it's going to grow, how slow it's going to grow, so they have to adjust as accordingly. But the, um, yeah, and especially with COVID at the moment. But um, I would I would just say to anyone, if you want to really work in esports, you have to take the risk. Like, you have to take risks at the moment in, in where you want to go, in mm. what you want to do. Take the leap, leap of faith, as you call it. Um, because... If you want to do it, you're getting the experience now. In five years' time, when stuff is settled down and we know how big the industry will be, more likely, um, then you'll have the experience to get a top job, probably. And, um, can, and I think that's that's it. No, really. Can I just say as well, one of the best pieces of advice I was given was to find your niche. You know, there might be a lot of oh, people yeah. out there that are social media marketing execs, mm-hmm. or you know, want to be uh, working in production or want to be a caster. If you find your niche, um, that really helps. When I set up Esports News UK. It, Originally, I did want it to be a global news site, and I thought, well, I can't, I don't have the resources to compete with the big boys out there at the moment. So I focused on the UK, and I didn't really have competition. Find your niche. You know, I know of casters that have moved from one game that they really loved to another game, and now they're getting, you know, regular, decent work in that game because they filled a niche. There wasn't many casters in that game, for example. Look at Valorant. I'm sure there'll be uh, casters from CS:GO and other games trying to cement themselves yeah. as the leading casters in that game. You kind of have to look ahead, look at what's happening in the market, and then try and set yourself apart. You know, yeah, I think and that's great advice. Yeah, I was, yeah, yeah, I was going to say. I mean, we get we have people emailing us saying, um, "Have you got any jobs going? I can do this, 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 uh, or even even the pros. I can I can be your coach for Rainbow Six, Counter Strike, for Quake, mm. or whatever." And we're like. We're never going to pick someone up who is trying to concentrate on so many different areas. You have to be like, I'm experted in this area, yeah. and that's what you it's might just need. like any. Um, and I think that's I think that's the education that and why I would love to work with like more schools and stuff on on when they're doing careers guidance because it's just like any other job. If you're going to a job with I don't know, I'm trying to think of a random company, um, Apple. If you're going to Apple at, at their HQ in, in, over in LA, and you're like. Um, or California so and you're like oh I can do a thousand things I'm gonna go that's great but actually we need this person to be specialized in this mm. um, and at least have some experience in this and I think that's the common misconception is it's great to have passion it's great to have a love for a game a title a scene to be doing stuff in your spare time but also you need to be specializing and, and honing, honing in on skill sets that you can mm. bring to a job and, and so it's really difficult sometimes when hiring because you need to specify on a hit marker website, for instance, like what you're looking for in that candidate. And you never know what you're going to get, but you have some idea of like, okay, well, I know they definitely need these kind of skill sets, but is there one that they can bring? But we're not looking for people that can do thousands of things. That's not impressive to an employer, particularly in esports. We, we don't want all the the frills and everything, right? So it can be a fine balancing act. And I think people just need to, refine everything when they go for it and not just be like oh my god this is a great opportunity and chuck everything at even just the application process i mean i I find the people sometimes we work with when they say oh i can do this and then Mm. i can do this 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 as well oh actually i could do this as well and put it all on their to-do list it's a massive like 10 15 to list and 
they end up getting nothing done because they try and do bits of everything. Yeah, exactly. And, it's um, over-promise, under-deliver, yeah. isn't it? Try and do it the other way. Yeah. I've learned under-promise. I think time. I can get it done by Friday, and then I've got it done yeah. Thursday morning. Yeah. Your employer will be like, wow, this guy's good. Yeah. Oh, this girl's good. That's you know? managing expectations. And actually, the biggest, <laughs> yeah, piece of, yeah. the biggest piece of advice I can give to anyone who wants to work for any company is just communication is the most important thing. Um, mm. The amount of people we, we work with where you don't hear from them for a week, then they're all oh, I'm really like super good, and then it's another week, and it's they don't really realize it's your business, like, and that um, it's your livelihood, I guess, sometimes. Um, and that's that's the, the other issue of essentially, you know, small amount of pay to proper full time wage, like if it's a freelancer versus full time, because mm. um, often if you've got someone on full time, they should be there the whole time anyway. But if you're paying someone at an hourly rate or something, or 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 even free for the voluntary for some people, um, mm. then they're less they can be less reliable. And I guess it's just mm. being reliable is super important. I, um, I will say, following on quickly from Heather's point just then, it takes time to master something as well. We're saying find your niche and everything like that. It's hard to be a top whatever Overwatch caster or a top news writer. Even my first job in journalism, I got a job at Auto Trader of all places. I, I don't know how because I, I don't even know much about cars, but I learned on the job. My news writing was awful. When I was at uni, I couldn't write news. I was awful at it. I used to like writing features and things like that. Working on with the Auto Trader editorial team for one, I was there two years. But after about half a year or a year, something just clicked, and I realised what made news work. And then I love it. And now that's my core. Thing. So what Heather's saying is right. Don't be afraid to change from one area of expertise to another. But when you do find that one thing that you enjoy and you're good at it, you should keep doing that because people will notice you if, if you're good enough. I think one of the, the best pieces of advice that I ever had was from uh, my uh, AS level business studies teacher. He's a, he's a guy called Mr. Young. And uh, he said to, to me that uh, people... Um, fall into line or kind of like um realize their niche at different stages in your life mm. and some people do it when they're at school some people do it when they're at university and some people do it when they set up a successful company at 45 it it really can depend on just circumstance and life and and what happens to you and uh, don't worry about it if it doesn't seem like it's happened just yet you, you do need to have a level of uh, resilience and you need to have a, a like a, a personal belief and a personal entrepreneurial spirit. It doesn't necessarily mean you need to be an entrepreneur, but, mm. but being an entrepreneur is um, not taking uh, a failure as, as an end, right? You take failure as a learning process and then you keep going. Um, and I think that, that um, that's something that's really helped me over the years. Um, you know, as I sort of mentioned earlier, like I went through, uh, um, you know, not working in esports and those things that I did not working in esports, to be honest, didn't really take my interest. Um, and I felt quite lost in terms of like what I was doing with my life. Um, and, you know, fortunately, the, the industry that I had a passion for became a, a, a relevant career opportunity. Um but you know, I think you know if you are interested in esports, what you know Dom and Heather and Pete are saying is, um, you know, you and I'm sure Rich would agree um, that that you know you can um, take time to find out what it is that that's going to suit you, and um, you know when you do own it, you know there's a lot of competitive people in the space because a lot of people play competitive games, right? So um, it's not easy to make it 
in esports. Um, and you know, you do have to have a level of resilience and um, you know, learn from your mistakes and and keep pushing yourself because you will be successful. I think everything's online as well. That's the issue. Is you know, people mentally it's harder because everything's out there in the world. Is if you do if you do something wrong in your job um, in, a, in an office space, your office might know about it, but probably not much else. If you do something seriously wrong in a gaming world, you could get screwed. Like, um, so I think that's that's that could be a, something to think about. I guess in terms of make sure your online presence is correct and uh, you don't say something stupid for a start. Um, well, that's like I... that with any employee, right? Because mm. I, even I was employing people outside of esports for other jobs, right? When I was a store manager for Apple and things like that, and like I'm not gonna, I'm not gonna hire someone that is being like disingenuous on social media or something like these are checks it's just good for any career advice is like conduct yourself like a normal human being please because then you're gonna have a job um so but i mean it's definitely like it's easier to find people that apply for jobs in esports because you do your due diligence and you do see some kind of behaviors and you're like well is that really the right fit for our team and our company and where we're going and they're the decisions we're making we're not basing it on what your favorite esports title is it's nice that you have one and that's a a nice trait to have on your cv we're actually really looking at you as a person and and the skills it's really important to remember that you have a brand like you are a brand within the industry and as rich mentioned earlier like it is still a really small industry um a lot of people know everybody and and so you know if you um aren't careful about how you portray yourself and i'm not you know i'm sure you could be a bad person hey that's that's your problem um but like you know you can um of course make sure that you're presenting yourself in a way that um uh, doesn't harm your chances in in the future for um your career prospects and i think that's really Mm. important Uh, i think particularly you can forget that when you're um a little bit more uh gung-ho and younger and you know um thinking that you know okay well if i post something on twitter from and and somebody brings it up like four years later it's not gonna make a difference it it has made a difference for people and it does make a difference for people i think youtube and twitch and the digital world are skewed people's perceptions of success as well if you look at someone like a uh, i don't know dr disrespect or ninja or any of these crazy personalities gross score they can get away with saying something as a rock star would get away liam gallagher or wherever yeah they're celebrities aren't they exactly and but because a lot of people watch them and they think oh, i want to be a youtuber twitch oh they're fine saying that i'll be fine saying it mm-hmm. it's difficult they've built that reputation up and then if they want to damage it, I guess that's up to them that they'll still have all those followers. Whereas when you're, you know, someone like myself, I'm not a celebrity. That's something to bear in mind, isn't it? You know, if you do burn bridges, that's that can have... Uh, Don you're a celebrity in our hearts. UK celebrity, Don't worry. Oh, thank you. UK celeb. Uh, <laughs> actually, Richard, if you could... I think it's... Yeah, I oh, go on, sorry. I was going to say, sorry, it'd be good to hear. What, um, so obviously it's quite hard to probably put um, due, due diligence on people applying for jobs but i mean for example let's say endpoint we we did put a job up did you do your due diligence on like us as a company uh, when we post the ads and stuff so obviously it didn't t- it didn't get approved straight away we had to go through an approval uh, section but like... yeah yeah it's important because i think so many people that use our website in particular are the kind of young people that everyone else is talking about and the people where they are just kind of trying to find their way in the industry and to try and find a safe place to start mm-hmm. i think that's a really important thing to say it's mm-hmm. like 
there are still a lot of people out there who will take advantage of young um, mm. people for whatever reason and treat them badly and might promise them things and never deliver. So every time a company signs up a new company, we have to try and find something about them. Like exactly what Heather said on the candidate side, we'll go looking to see right who's behind the operation. Can we get any information on LinkedIn about them? Can we find any history on them? Um, and we reject jobs and companies every single day just because we either can't find anything about them, um, which I think is always a bit of a warning sign in itself. If you mm -hmm. don't have a digital trace in 2020, um, there's probably a reason why you don't have a digital trace in 2020. It's like if you've done what Rob and Heather said and you, you've kind of stayed whiter than white and you had a social media presence, like I would expect to be able to go and find anybody's Twitter or Instagram, definitely LinkedIn when it comes to people who are supposedly running companies or organizations. You'd at least expect to find like a LinkedIn um, that wasn't full of BS, especially. So, yeah, we definitely check everybody out. Um, we can't obviously do that on the candidate side. That yeah. kind of gets left up to you guys as the hiring managers. Mm -hmm. Hopefully that gives people a bit of comfort. And there are people that still slip through the net. But then we've just, with the new release of the site, we've included like reporting functionality for the first time, whereby candidates can now report companies and jobs if they are kind of misled. Because this crazy stuff happens even during the interview process. We've, we've had a cases of people like being involved in like Fiverr marketing scams because they've yeah. like, get every applicant to sign up to Fiverr on your referral link and then interview them. As stupid as that sounds, that's like some guy that's trying to get like a $5, $10 credit on Fiverr by, so this, that's, that's the length that some people will go to. Um, so when that happens and we haven't caught it the first time, then we have to kind of go back and suspend accounts and ban people from the website and all that fun stuff. But we've never gone public about anybody yet. That's quite yeah, yeah. Game, game, oh, don't get any back. ideas. <laughs> don't get any ideas. You know what? I'm really grateful that MySpace died because the amount of rubbish I posted on there as a team. <laughs> <laughs> and eBay. Sounds like Robert. I can imagine Dom doing it. That's oh, right. <laughs> oh, I think it's really interesting because we're definitely like, we like, even a couple of years ago, we didn't have dedicated websites for job postings. And so, like, Hitmarker definitely is super leading. And I remember, like, three, four years, or even two years ago, like, oh, I'm looking at Hitmarker every day just in case, see what's coming up in the industry. And I still now go there to see what the industry's up to and what they're, who they're hiring for. And I think that's a really important skill or um, thing to do, not skill, is actually see where the industry's at even when you're dormant and not looking at a job like, oh, there's a big spike here and this company's now set up and they're now involved in the industry. You get loads of knowledge just from job listings. Like I basically know what the hell everyone's doing from looking at Hitmarker. And so like, that's is really, really powerful. And I think like we have to move away from this whole like, oh, it's who you know and only people that have got links to the industry are gonna get jobs. We, we particularly at ESL hired so many people that didn't know us mm. at all firsthand or or you would go to your team do you know this person no sorry don't know them and that's not a problem either like we're generally very open-minded yeah. um, i think i think there's there's uh there's a way to hire people that are going to diversify your skill pool as a business um you know, something that I've always looked for when um, hiring is that uh, I want them to be able to buy into the company and I want them to have uh, a level of um, passion for what it is that we do, right? So um, that like the main thing that I basically always ask in an interview is, uh, what's your favorite game right now? 
and also what's your favorite game of all time because they need to have been a gamer i'm like i'm sorry but you can't work in this industry successfully unless you like video games you have to you have to have liked them at some point in your life because otherwise you just can't understand what it is as a as as a community in this industry that we're trying to build um and i think that, that fundamentally uh there are there are a few companies around the world that are, have made mistakes with that um and that's because i think sometimes there's industry pressure for esports to grow up quicker than it needs to um and actually it, sometimes it just needs to let be let to do its thing and and to, to uh grow organically um to a certain degree um that's a whole rabbit hole to go down but yeah you know it's it's fun at the end of the day isn't it it's games let's not lose sight of that yeah it's all about getting the balance right. When I said earlier, it's not what you know, it's who you know. It's both, isn't it? People, yeah, for sure. Yeah, you know, it's, but it's... yeah. Business is personal connections, right? So that that yeah. it makes sense, but also from as a high from like a hiring point of view, mm-hmm. you want to get the best candidate, yeah. and to get the best candidate, you don't just go, oh, well, I'll talk oh, to my mate. My mate so you can come and work right that, that still do, unfortunately. Yeah. sure and and sometimes that actually works right and particularly yeah. perhaps if and it's a startup and you need somebody yeah. that you can rely on and you know that they've got a skill that they can deliver on yeah. then it makes sense um but uh, you know i think um services like hitmarker are um really helping um esports to be able to diversify and bring in talent that that perhaps m- might have been really lost in terms of mm-hmm. how to to find a route into the market um and i think that's great but i think we everyone started from your somewhere, point yeah yeah of course yeah you hit the nail on the head rob it's like every hiring manager we speak to i think there's only ever been one time where they've said that being a gamer isn't like their number one consideration behind hiring somebody um mm. And that is a red flag for us as well. It's kind of like you, you surely want to find people that understand the communities that you're going to be involved in, at least to some degree, or can translate knowledge from their game to another game. Um, and that's a consideration we have. So our team was we're able to expand it at the beginning of this year, almost like double the amount of staff that we have. And we knew that in the office there was like um, lots of FPS knowledge, basically like CS:GO was a real, uh, was the main game, um, Call of Duty, like my brother. And, and another one of the guys that works there. Um, so we were kind of, as dumb as it sounds, we're like, we'll have to go out and try and find people who know a bit about League and who know about mm-hmm. Dota and who can start to expand our overall company knowledge of the industry as a whole. And we were able to get people that are really, really well-versed in those games. Um, and that's us exa- doing exactly what you said, is trying to recognize where we have shortfalls. And that can impact us on like social media marketing, our marketing campaigns, because we are so insular or worse or insular mm-hmm. that we can't take advantage of and we can't promote league opportunities as well as we could ha- we could have done if we had more knowledge about the game mm-hmm. um so yeah it was that it was kind of recognizing shortfalls and trying to plug those gaps a little bit um i think that was a really good point that you made yeah. the shortfalls thing is like a really useful tip anyway right it's not just for for businesses to know where your shortcomings are in terms of what your skills are but as a, as a person and as somebody that's applying to jobs um like you know if you're wanting to climb the career ladder um particularly when you're a bit younger and things you know you, you might take a job that actually helps you uh, build out uh, something that's actually a weakness right now so that you can then mm-hmm. take that forward into an into a future role you know if you've got an idea hey i want to set up a business when i'm 
in my 30s or something like that but you need to be able to get some of the experience to be able to get there um you can do that by looking at yourself and going hey i actually don't know xyz you know it's something again that i look for um when uh, i'm hiring somebody is i want people that have some humility um you know i sometimes interview somebody and uh they're really really arrogant um and to be honest that comes across like it comes across really badly um because i don't think that they're going to be able to evaluate themselves and improve themselves um, in the role and that's super important okay, can i say on that as well being willing to learn i remember when i joined auto trade all those years ago i thought i knew it all i came out of uni i was like oh writing's easy boy did i get a wake-up call when i was working with a team of experienced journalists that had worked on national papers and things like that be willing to learn mm. you might think because you're younger and and hip and you know all the digital technology and everything that you know more about your bosses but believe me they'll have experience from dealing with people you know making sure it's a two-way street isn't it it is a two-way street yeah, yeah those experienced ones need to learn from the youngsters as well but just be i like that show a bit of humility if you yeah, can got to be open to it in a team you know, and like Rob said as well, it's good to have challenge yourself and set new goals. When I first got a job, I wanted to just be a writer. And then I thought I'd love to work up to editor at some point. That was my goal. And then when I hit that after like five or six years and it's like, well, I'd like to do my own thing. And that's where Esports News UK, the idea for that came from. Maybe I should set myself new goals now. You know, I've been in my current roles for like three, four years. Maybe I'm not following my own advice there. You know, but that's, I think well, that's good I, setting goals. I was actually going to mention like the the the, the difference in like a normal a normal career. Although this is shifting very much in all industries, is that like it's okay to be at place for two three years and move on now. Um, mm. and like I'm not going to penalise someone if they've moved every six months or every year and it's been for a long period of time, I might question like their commitment to the brand and is that a right hire for me because I need them to finish and see this project through. But like, it's okay for you to kind of, in my opinion, be at a company now for two to three years and then move on because you've you've lived that role, you've really experienced and now you need new challenges and it's not to just settle. Like I still don't know actually what I want to do. <laughs> That's as crazy as that sounds. As long as I'm happy with the job I'm doing every day, nine till five um esports nine till five um you know i i'm i'm happy with that but if at some point i stopped enjoying what i do then i would leave esports for instance and, and go off and do something else with my skill set and so like i think it's like not is also not being afraid to try something new if you're already in the esports industry and got a job and either a speaking up to your employer and saying i'm really would love to try something new um you should be having reviews with your employees and and seeing where you are at any but you know saying hey i want to try something new can i learn more about this can i be given a bit more kind of slack on this type of thing and responsibilities or being quite frank and saying i might look for new opportunities can you a help me with that or b just to let you know i'm gonna see what else there is in the industry whilst i'm here still but i'm still committed there's lots of ways you can go about it even if you still have a job because let me tell you just because you've got a job in esports doesn't mean you've solved everything and you've hit the lot you know you've won the lottery that there's there is another set aside of this once you're in the industry how do you grow develop and and get the best out of that experience so there's definitely a two-prong attack for it i think i think two years in esports is is not two years in a normal job anyway um so I think a lot of people can tell you that it's two years in esports is probably five years in a normal job in the same Literally. industry. So, so um, like it. 
so yeah, it's almost been two, three years in a job actually in, in esports. I'd be probably snapping their hands off thinking you're top of the list now. Um, mm. almost. So it's kind of yeah, different in that sense. Can I just say as well, there's some excellent points you made there, Heather, on, you know, at the end of the day, you've got to be happy, right? I've learned from working in different roles. Sometimes it takes a while to realise you're not happy. It might be a subconscious mm. thing. It's like, actually, what am I doing here? You know, my previous role, before I joined uh, British Esports, before I set up Esports New UK, I was probably there a bit too long, really, by a year or so. And also, another thing I wanted to say, when I got a job on a MCV, a video game trade publication, like 10 years ago, I thought, oh, wow, I'm writing about games now, the business side of games. But after a few months, I realized I was writing about games all day. When I got home, the last thing I wanted to do was actually play them. Yeah. So that's something to bear in mind. When you're on the other side of the fence and you're working in esports or gaming, you see things in a different light and well, suddenly your thing, hobby becomes yeah. your life. The sad thing in gaming is the more you get into gaming, the less games you play. But Yeah, um, yeah absolutely. Yeah, yeah. Oh, everyone's not there very much. Everyone's yeah, space they can't they play, knew, but yeah. <laughs> and then you know you love it. Then you know you yeah. love it still as well though, right? Yeah. I mean, like, people were, people were, like, messaging me like, are you literally lost the plot? You're leaving a TV job and in esports and I was like I'm so miserable I didn't want this job I want to be behind the camera working with a team being creative and kind of you know leading new things that we can do in UK esports so I was like well where's the opportunity and so I left that and, and people really judged me for leaving a role and I was just like well, do you want to be on TV five days a week talking about esports right about esports research and esports probably not after two years like I'm miserable I'm moving on for me and and my career and like it was it took a while and and I'm sure um people like Rob will, will back me up it took a while to realize actually you're miserable you need to move on um but you know that was the case and sometimes don't be scared that even dropping out of esports for a little while doesn't mean you'll get another esports job later down the line because you've gone and got other industry experience. Mm. And like that really concerns me that there's two things. People get really disheart disheartened when they haven't been picked up for a job, even if they've been applying for three years and they write it all over Twitter. And I'm just like, I wish I could help you or reach out, but I don't know what your scenario is. And then there's the people that are like in esports, but miserable and got nowhere to go. And it's like, that's the one where you can almost help yourself a little bit. So it's like situations I see on, on social quite a lot. Yeah, okay. I think it'd be good to start moving on to um, talking. There's, I think there's three paths into doing esports for a living. There's, <laughs> there's, a, there's freelance, there's full-time for a company, I guess, and there's setting up your own company to do it yourself. Um, I think we've got quite a good mix here, maybe. Um, so I, I've set my own company up, I guess. Um, and I mean, Dom's done the same, but now, but now he's actually working full-time. And then we've got freelancers as well and who've done freelance bits. Well, Heather, you're doing some freelance work at the moment and, but also mm -hmm. potentially other side of things as well. And obviously, yeah. So I think we've got a good mix. I mean, what, what advice would you give people, I guess, in which, A, I mean, Richard might be best to start here. What's generally freelance to full-time? What are the job percentages? Who's offering full-time? Who's offering freelance positions? Um, yeah, it's a really good point. And I think it's something that doesn't get discussed very much at all. And something that we're trying to hammer this year in particular is trying to explain to people the difference between full-time, part-time and freelance. And it's like a lot of people just think of it as a, it, as a tax thing, but ultimately it's benefits, it's pension, it's paid time off. It's like a quality of life thing that comes along with having a full-time employee contract and a part-time employee contract. You have a lot more rights and a lot more protection over your working hours in particular. Um, so we made this decision early. So it, I've been a freelancer. Uh, that's where I started um, my professional career in sports. I was a, re a remote freelancer doing 
performance analysis and scouting on like professional football games. So that sickness thing that you talked about with esports doesn't just happen here. I think I watch like thousands of football matches in a year. And now I can't, I literally cannot even sit and like watch the Champions League final out of pleasure because I think I've just, I'm so oh, sick, so sick of watching football. But um, so I was a freelancer. I love that in terms of the, um, I think as a, as a way to start when you're young and you don't have family and you don't have responsibilities and you know that you can be pulling like 60, 70 hour weeks and working ridiculous hours. If you can manage it mentally and if you're like physically fit and healthy and well and you can deal with like the remote work and type stuff, Freelance and I, I absolutely loved it, and I, I do miss it sometimes because it, uh, you controlled your hours, you could do whatever you wanted, and as long as you got your work done, and like Dom said, you under promise and over delivered. I found that you had a quite easy life. Um, transitioning into being a full time employee, which was great because of the benefits that I talked about. Although it was kind of an unwritten rule that you didn't take time off, so nothing really changed for me there. I didn't really still take any holiday whatsoever. But in a real company with like people. <laughs> who get with some kind of capacity to cover for you in your position. So probably not realistic for the majority of esports companies currently. It's like you should be able to take days off in a year to like just mentally recharge, to go on holiday, to kind of take a step back and refresh because we're all probably all of us have been stuck in a grind for years. Me, not necessarily just in esports, but I don't think I took a holiday for like five or six years at one point um, because we were just working so hard. And it's like certain people have got much smaller thresholds for burnout. And I think it impacts people's mental health in particular so much if you've just got so many work demands on you. Mm -hmm. Um, So I think aspiring to the full-time contracts is a great thing. Very few places are hiring full-time employees, especially Mm -hmm. in the UK. It's like, it's super rare Um, because it's expensive, right? We we now, because we've got nine employees, we pay like national insurance and tax Mm -hmm. on all of those employees. We pay a pension contributions we pay so that's a conscious decision that we took to look after people and to make sure that they are working 10 till 5 every day where possible um, and legitimately the majority of our team do actually manage to stick to those hours which is good um, and this, this, some of them have to work weekends as part of their typical shifts but I think that is a great place to aspire to get to but to come back and hopefully tee up everybody else here I've never felt so engaged so passionate so motivated as I have done being a, an owner of a company and uh, mm. leading things myself, not having to answer to anybody. I used to have the worst boss in the world, man. And it, like, he made me miserable for years. And he was like, he was a literal psychopath. If you're watching, you're an absolute psychopath. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> and it's like, now that has been removed. And I guess for Rob and Heather, that's probably mm-hmm. been removed. Pete, you don't have that issue anymore. And it's kind of like, you are the master of your own destiny. You set the culture in the business that you have. So I, I would highly, highly recommend that if you're struggling to find jobs, you're struggling to do freelance work, do exactly what Dom said earlier, do something for yourself, um, become a personal brand, set something up on your own back. Don't expect it to make money immediately. No. Um, but just don't be afraid to take a risk. Find that niche that you talked about. Solve a problem and go ahead and do something and hopefully that's the perfect intro for rob to talk about kind of what's coming and what he's got planned and the the challenges behind yeah i think i think um <clears throat> just on on the the wider landscape of of roles within within esports you know to me the industry is still very much and, and this potentially is more of a uh, a problem of our age uh, and time in 
the general jobs market than anything is there is it's very much a, a gig economy um you know we don't have lots of full-time positions um but i'd like to echo what rich said about you know the level of security that you get in from a full-time position um i think quite often can be um underestimated um particularly when you're a bit younger um and you know the 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 pull of like getting a really nice freelance check every so often sounds great um but actually like the the uh you know the, that money going into your pension pot the um the security the fact that you've got a full-time contract um etc it does really make a difference um and uh i you know it's just something that you know, just because there's some pretty good freelance money out there don't think that that's necessarily the right decision weigh it all up um and and yeah as rich said make the decision that's right for you like obviously you know if you think you have a niche and you want to set up a business and uh, and do that then it is a really empowering um thing particularly if you're that way inclined um but equally i know a lot of people that it really doesn't suit and um that, that actually they they like to have um a clearly defined structure uh, you know or what am i doing each day um you don't have that um you know nobody's telling you what to do each day if you're setting up a business and and sometimes that can be really quite difficult um you know you i've alluded to it earlier you, know, you have to have um a spirit where you know you're going to get knocked down and you have to get back up again um and you have to keep on plodding and sometimes it can be really really stressful um and there's a whole host of unknowns that you know are just going to come out of left field one day and you go okay well i have to deal with that um and those things are are, are a challenge and, and you know some people will really th thrive on that challenge and um some people find it really daunting and that doesn't mean they can't be successful but just be aware that you know if you are going and and wanting to do that you, you need to have the drive and the passion to to, to do it yeah, i think as you're saying you're in business up you have to have three quite good traits really are being a good problem solver to start um mm -hmm. you know a man manager or person manager whatever you want to call it um is a good one as well if you start if you're if you're a prick of a boss like rich was saying earlier you're not going to be good your, your business is not going to be good um and and obviously motivation and time management is, is is key um i've had slightly different experience i guess to rich maybe in some some ways um so i've never really worked for anyone i've always uh, had my own business or i played poker for 10 years professionally so it's kind of like my own it's still my it's self-employed my own kind of like i have to always manage my own hours can make a decent money in one day and go the next day you think well oh, do i need to work today i mean that that's the kind of thing that you, you fight over for the last 10 years of you know keeping yourself motivated and new goals like don was saying earlier new goals is, is super important um mm. but one thing i one thing i think um that i i maybe regret slightly is so i i used to play counter-strike back in the day you know decent standard uh that's and then i kind of took time out to play poker and whatever and i came back five six years ago to, to esports um when I got a new PC to play for Counter Strike again, but got into it. Um, but the um, one thing I potentially regret is I, I, I went straight into only my own thing. With um, I was I was doing Imperial and London Conspiracy before for Endpoint, and um, and I think that I kind of regret doing that because you put money into it, you're doing stuff, but you're making mistakes at the start because you don't really understand some industry, some aspects of the industry. Um, like I think now I, I've got a decent understanding of it. 
but I think maybe at first it could have been good to go work for a, I don't know, a fanatic or a, or whatever, mm. um, to get that, that, you know, key knowledge and you can learn so much and then do it yourself. Uh, instead that's, of start, instead of starting something yourself straight away, getting the knowledge first, then do it yourself. I think is is super important. Um, but yeah, yeah. 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 I, I mean, that's literally the beauty of a full time job is that like you can learn on someone else's dime. <laughs> like essentially, yeah. like yeah. get really good at what you do, and then if you've got the ability to go freelance or set up your own company, then do it. But like also, the natural course of progression isn't always for everyone to go off and be freelance or start their own company up, and and the other way around either you know like i think as long as you're being smart with your approach it's fine like i went from being freelancer into full-time to now starting up the own company although in stealth mode as well um but you know that's because i've wanted to learn more and, and have responsibility and i drive my drive is responsibility and growing things and and helping other people grow so actually having your own business is probably the right place to be for that eventually but I there was no time set and I've not been hard on deadlines and I've not been like well before I'm 30 I want to have to be here as well and you will flicker between as well and I think like the nice thing about if you can get a full-time job in esports is you are going to be open up to so many more consistent uh experiences then as freelance where you're kind of fending for yourself a lot and although you'll have opportunity to work for a whole host of things you won't be so actively involved in that company and its operations to the point where you can really harness enough to really apply in in most cases some cases that's true because they're like a really crucial freelance role but you know like and so I, it's really weird that people do turn their nose up at full-time jobs in esports I find that like I'll go to someone that's a freelancer and be like hey I can give you this stability I can give you this job it you know you're guaranteed holiday I'll look after you if anything happens you know if you get ill you'll get paid um you're insured you've got you're insured, yeah, tax exactly. being paid for yeah. you've got a pension I think some of those things you know at the moment from my understanding mm -hmm. of a lot of the freelancers that are in the industry is they're not looking after themselves in those ways and and they really need to be and actually when you start to take away those essentially overheads for you as a as a personal business as a freelancer or how, however it is that you're operating um you're not making anywhere near as much money as you think you might be from you know that that number that's on your invoice um and i think people learn really, the hard way yeah and people learn the hard way and and obviously freelance life is tough and mm. as rich said earlier like Sometimes you don't have a choice in, in esports because there aren't that many full-time jobs around. Um, but it is something to, to just bear in mind, I think. Mm. There's a lot to be said as well about having a full-time job in general or in gaming. You know, there might not be a full-time job in esports right now or in the field that you want to get into. But if there is one in gaming, say, for example, a publisher, uh, I don't know, Ubisoft, mm. Activision Blizzard or whatever, you could learn a lot there. Yeah. And dabble a little bit in esports I'll, I'll give you an example as well when i was at uh, mcv this trade publication for video games i was there two years and the team didn't really change so there wasn't much room for me to progress further and the owner of the company said at the time dom i'm considering you we've got an opening on one of our other magazines i'd like you to be deputy editor or think about it and my initial reaction was oh thanks but i love gaming i want to stay in gaming but then when i went home and i thought about it it was a salary increase. And I thought, I'll have a, a chat with him. I had a chat with the editor at the time and the publisher. 
And the publisher said to me, what you could do, Dom, is take the risk on gaming and try and work your way up very, very slowly. Or you could go out of gaming, go up to a higher position, stay there for a bit, and then come back into gaming. Uh, I know this is convoluted, what I'm doing with the pen, but you get the impression. I came back into gaming at a higher level, at that deputy editor, editor level. And then, you know, that's a good route in as well. If, you know, you could work somewhere else for like a year or two in your field. So, so if you want to be a caster, you could work as a host, for example, on a TV channel or something for a little bit, build up your uh, work skills and your experience. And then when an opening does come up in esports, you're set, you've set yourself apart from other people. I do think um, the, the, the benefit, actually, one of the biggest benefits of starting with um, or working with a startup like Endpoint, for example, uh, or Hitmarker, or, or, or your new companies that you're not announcing yet, um, <laughs> the, um, is you get in at the ground level, you can actually make a difference because it's a smaller team, um, so you can make mm -hmm. a big difference. And that will, if you want to go for a job later at a different place, will, is again, great experience. But also if that organization, business, whatever, succeeds um they you start when you start, when they start hiring more people they hire below you so yes you don't really move your position but technically you're above and i mm. think um i think starting from the bottom growing in knowing the whole organization um is can be a good benefit if that organization succeeds and if it doesn't you've got great experience anyway to move to the next level so i think that's the benefit of start, going for a startup the downside is obviously volatile less pay probably and uh, and all that but um, yeah. But I think I think as we were saying earlier, like pretty much, I would class almost every single business in yes. the world that's currently touching esports as a startup business. Uh, ESL is still a startup. Um, you know the the way that that uh, business operates and and has to operate because of the market it has to be really agile. Um, it, you know it is in a startup mentality. Other than some maybe game publishers like Valve or something where that's maybe slightly different, but um, yeah, agree. Yeah. I and I would also dispel like you can be a freelancer and still hold down a regular job as well yeah. as a really good starting yeah. stepping stone. Just don't burn out. Uh, Richard, it was really funny you talking about like actually taking holiday and stuff because like I was so dedicated to just having it as like a freelancer or as a hobby. I was still burning out. The only reason why I would take holiday off my regular job was to go to land, to go, you know, Epic Land and have the opportunity to commentate uh, or, you know, go to iSeries and have an opportunity for a paid gig. And never did I think, oh, yes, now I'm finally going to get a job. But I was literally doing, when I was freelancing for TV stuff as well, I was literally working 22-hour days and like getting three hours sleep and I did that for seven months so it's like okay I'm either going this way or the other way but it was a slow gradual build up to slowly but surely burning out but like, what I really realized was that using your spare time out of your regular job and, and and really having a freelance opportunity you should go for it and don't just drop everything and go well it's make or break I'll give it six months because that's really not the way to go through it you may be really lucky and hit hit it off straight away but like most cases you really do need to gradually build into your freelance opportunities and you like study at school and get the best qualifications and do your best at school and then you know move in and even if you've left school and you don't have best qualifications go retrain as well like there's no harm in that as well so I think like the actual entry there's no, none of us in this chat can give you the the perfect path for you to follow but that from our experiences I had a very different experience from everyone else here and yeah, I've got to somewhere where I'm happy and, and, and pleased, but it, 
it was a hard it was hard it was it was it was really difficult but what I was trying to do is take every opportunity I could be to be a freelancer in a regular job so that I was still you know had a roof on my head and I was still paying my bills whilst being responsible and trying something new so like I think like what's quite concerning sometimes you do see people just go gonna quit my job and see how it goes for six months and you're like oh my god yeah. Like, same with streamers. Work? When a streamer hits affiliate, it's like, right, it's time to go pro. Let's go. Let's do oh, full time streaming. Like, like, no. Just yeah. keep going out for a while. Like that balance yeah. is nice. Or if you need to take more time off or talk to your employer and, and find the balance. I used to work my shift schedule around my streaming schedule. I said, Hey, I, I really enjoy doing this. It's really important and I value it a lot in my life. I also value working for you, but can we can we do something so I have a regular shift pattern, which was unheard of? And they were like, Yeah. So everything's reasonable. You just have to actually communicate, which is a really important skill. As Pete said earlier. Yeah. Yeah. Good bosses will let you do that, right? A good boss will recognise your passion or your want to yeah. do something differently, you know? And that sometimes it's luck of the draw who you get put with colleagues, as it is who you get put next to in class back at school and who your neighbours are and things like that. You just have to <clears throat> deal with it, don't you, depending on the situation, I yeah. guess. So I think... I think um... One more topic and then we'll go on to like a quick Q&A and finish this up. But the, the, the topic I want to talk about generally, and I'll, I'll start with Rob for this, because I think you've got quite a bit of experience, quite a bit of experience in this, is um, education in generally. Um, universities are offering esports degrees now. Um, I mean, I'll start with you with this conversation and uh, and maybe move on to Rich. But like, what is there enough jobs, do you think, in the industry to, to do all these uh, university kind of spots that are popping up with three-year degrees and so on and, you know, whatever is you think education is they're taking the right path they're taking the wrong path they, they... i think i think we're getting there so i think you know as as rich has has alluded to and and as the success of Hitmarker uh, indicates you know the industry is growing and and the growth in terms of job opportunities over the last five years has been pretty incredible um as the industry matures um and you know, um, the the value chain is is built out. Um, those types of roles continue to increase. Um, the the work that I've done with um, universities, um, various universities up and down the country, has been around advising them that although esports is a really interesting, buzzy word, uh, the industry is still pretty small, and that you can absolutely provide value to your um uh, to your students by giving them a level of education and knowledge around esports um but that hopefully uh ties into what is an already brilliant degree program that you currently have um and so that really you know my main advice to universities has been look look at a certain sector within esports uh and and add uh, an elective module on um so that yeah exactly as part of your course um as you mentioned you know there have been a few universities that, that have um taken that further and and created um full undergraduate degree programs um i think that uh there's we've seen a couple of different approaches there as far as i know that there are three that are either currently um doing that or who have um uh openings happening in september um 
and I think you know a couple of them are are very focused and quite small in terms of their scope and number of students that they're they're taking on each year. And I think that measured approach is sensible. Um, you know, I think that it, there's a there's a bit of a tie in there between the, the situation of the university industry here in the UK. Anyway, is that you know since um, tuition fees came in, um, really it is more education for profit at university than it is kind of anything else and that's kind of a problem and you certainly um see that as uh a, a potential issue of like university going oh hey you know this is a really cool amazing new exploding industry that's called esports let's get 120 students a year in on the course and and charge them nine grand a term or whatever it is now um and i think that that yeah obviously that's quite a cynical view on it um but at the same time you know speaking from a level of authority within the industry um there aren't the jobs there to sustain 120 people every year coming out of um the uk to then go and work in esports um we're, we're probably 10 years away from that being a reality um i think that that doesn't mean that you can't still have a really interesting um education experience um and learn about esports and have a lot of transferable skills that you could take elsewhere um but you know it, it doesn't need to be a degree um you know i think you can um start getting interested in in tech and in gaming and in esports um from a much younger age um and have that uh passion um fuel your um educational path um you know it can happen um right from the age of like uh, you know sort of five or, or six um you know, things like the digital schoolhouse that yuki do and and some of the stuff that the bea are doing is, is really really inspiring and it really engages um people in a way that you know to be honest when i think a lot of us were at school we we were just like well okay we have to kind of think of an industry that that's traditional and we've got to be like a bank teller or a dentist or whatever it is that we're being told by our teachers and parents that we need to do and um obviously um now we, we can we can show off games and say look you can actually be do you know what you can be a lawyer but you could be working in games and that's really cool i think as an industry we, we have to utilize the power and the particularly the the social and connection that that gaming has to um encourage people to to educate and to to stay in school and to um get a qualification that they can rely on you know sort of no matter what happens to them um in later life and and honestly you don't ever know what's going to happen to you in your life right you know you could be you could have like the perfect career you know you could have got um straight nines at, at GCSE and then got A stars at A level and got a first in your degree um, and gone and worked it, whoever, in, um, you know, as a graduate degree program. Um, and then, you know what, you, you actually find that that career path wasn't really for you. Um, but at least you've always got that education on your CV that you can rely on. Mm. Um, and I think that um, a lot of people... Um, sometimes look at really successful entrepreneurs, you know, people like um, Mark Zuckerberg, although you know, maybe we don't look at him because uh, he's, he's data, but um, <laughs> like you look at people who, who, who are, you know, potentially like a dropout or, or something like that and think, oh, well, I, I can drop out and I can do it because they've done it. 
And you have to remember, it's it's like the celebrity effect. They they are the zero point zero one percent of people. Um, and Alan Sugar, Lord Sugar, for example. Yeah, exactly. Business. Oh, I done it. I didn't need school. Yeah, it's not the case for everyone. It's not the case for everyone. And and actually, for the you know the Alan Sugars of this world, there were probably thousands of people in very similar situations to him who failed. And yes, success sometimes is about being in the right place at the right time. Um, but going back to sort of what I was saying earlier about the entrepreneurial spirit, if you keep going and you keep putting yourself in the right place at one point in time, it will be the right time as well. Mm-hmm. Um, and I think that, um, you know, relying on, um, an education, uh, isn't the be all and end all, but it can really help you. I agree with Rob, and I'll just say as well, on the university degrees, I took, I think, initially a more cynical view on them. I I saw the benefits, and then, yeah, are there enough jobs going around? But what Rob also highlighted at one point there was, um, you know, these degree courses have good transferable skills, and um, you might study esports at degree level and become a marketing manager for Coca-Cola or someone else, you might use these skills to, you know, go into social media for another company. There's good transferable skills there. And I think a lot of the sports industry now are looking at esports more and more. We've seen a lot of this from the COVID-19 situation, NASCAR, NHL, uh, FIFA and so on, are, are doing virtual F1, doing the virtual esports races. Um, those guys have money and they'll be looking for people in esports to hire. I think in the next. I think that's a good years. point. It's not just esports companies that are coming through to get the jobs. It's actually the uh, non-endemic companies as well that are coming yeah. in to hire esports, you know, consultants or whatever. Definitely. Yeah, the general esports yeah. consultant. But um, yeah, no, I agree. Uh, Richard, it'd be great to hear about your thoughts on this as well. Though, sorry. Yeah, yeah, I might double down yeah. on the cynicism a little bit. Um, it's I've I've been to the universities, um, at least two of them. I've spoken to them. I've spoken to a lot of students who are currently studying and. I'll be brutally honest, it might not be best for our relationships with them, but I don't get good feedback from the students about the courses. Um, but we're in year one for one of them and in year two for another one. So it's very early days. The concern that I've got is around the credibility of the people who they get to lead the courses and lecture the courses. Um, if you're selling a three-year sports degree for £27,000, £28,000, which is ultimately what they're doing, um, if you don't have at least one lecturer in there who has some track record in the industry, at least in the gaming industry, in terms of a professional background, um, but who also is an educator, there's, um, there's a real lack of people who are educators who have transferable gaming and esports mm-hmm. knowledge. It's like, it's like you could probably count on two hands in the UK. If, if that, you might just need the one hand of people who could be effective lecturers and course leaders. So the concerns that I hear most frequently are just there's a lack of esports knowledge with the people leading the courses. Um, obviously, when the students start to think they know more about the subject matter than the lecturers, then that's a problem. Because when I went to university, as much as I didn't enjoy the history and the English degrees that I did at the beginning, I clearly could see that the people teaching me were absolute experts in their fields. And when I went to do the sports degree, same thing, absolute like world-class nutritionists world-class performance analysts, people who've written paper after paper after paper and who had a huge track record in, in knowing about the space that they were lecturing about. Um, I could never say that I knew more about coaching or analysis than those people or the theory behind it, at least. So yeah, I think yeah. it's like kind of like Hitmarker was a bit too early on the scene is kind of my opinion. It's like you can clearly see there's a massive 
monetary opportunity there because the, the courses are typically oversubscribed. I think a lot of the students kind of go into them thinking we're just going to play games for three years and then that's going to be my kind of uh, university experience, which obviously isn't the case. Um, but I think the value, as Rob and Dom have both alluded to, is if the courses, which they are for the most part, are built on a fundamental kind of business course structure or they take elements from marketing, they take elements from event management and event planning, which a lot of them seem to do. That is, as Dom said, and uh, Rob said, sorry, there's a hell of a lot of transferable skills in there. If you can look beyond the, my lecturer doesn't know that much about esports stuff, mm -hmm. but at 18, 19, 20, 21, are you really going to do that? People these days in particular are particularly harsh judges, I think, and you don't get many chances of uh, impressing somebody. But I would say to them, and to touch back on Rob's point, I think the universities need to look at gaming and esports as kind of a, a hook to underpin the courses that they're offering. Um, try and do more intramural stuff. Try and make sure you've at least got rigs and a setup there so that people can go and play five on fives if they want to do that and have the technology there for them to facilitate that. If you've got all of that nice kind of um, social aspect around the esports course, which could just be an elective module in a business course or a marketing course, I think you're much more likely to stay engaged, to be, uh, to retain, to not drop out, to kind of think, well, I don't love the degree, but I'm heavily involved in the intramural scene. I kind of run the CSGO team. I'm part of the gaming society. Um, all of those external bits, I think, get overlooked a little bit um, from the experience that I've had. Um, mm. People don't really go to university to learn for the most part. Let's be honest, we've probably all been there, especially at 18. It's more about like everyone else is going, there's a huge social element to it. And like the lectures and the, the tutorials, particularly in year one, for a lot of people tend to be just like, if I'm awake and I'm not hungover, yeah. then I'm going to go and get there. It's <laughs> so, life skills, isn't it, as well? You yeah. meet people and everything and, you know. I made That's good it. friends for life at uni. Lucky I met my wife at uni. So uh, I've done a lot of learning outside of the work. For me, it's probably the best thing I've done uni, just yeah. because yeah, it brought me out of my shell. I would say the same. Yeah, yeah, same. But yeah. I, there was definitely a distinct uh, level of knowledge, as, as Rich was saying, that my lecturers had for engineering. And mm. I just don't think the industry has had enough people working in it in a professional capacity to... Bring it to the courses, yeah. Yes, maybe in a decade's time, maybe in a decade's time, dedicated courses make more sense for the level of people that go out there. Who knows? Like someone like Rob could, or I could, or anyone Absolutely. could transition into like doing teaching and education and things. But like at the moment, I like I'm pretty specialized in what I do and I know a lot but I like I'd still not of an ability to lecture people even in in the field that I do because there's so many unknowns about the industry still that like exactly. what you're teaching is not a going to be valid for the next year probably but also just like the experience is so key and I'm I like I'm going to be brutally honest I don't know how this will be a repercussion but I'm not going to pick someone that's got an esports degree as a first point at the top of the CV pile over any other degree, just because I'm an esports company, mm. I would really have to know what that curriculum is and really know what you were specializing in in that degree for me to consider you, even if I consider a degree altogether. Cause like people go to university and get the life skills and drop out and they're very successful. I know a lot of them and you know, that that's also not a bad thing as well. So like, mm. There's also like, don't worry if you don't get a degree, just as long as you've got a skill set and an education of some sort. But like, I'm like brutally honest, and I'm, I've spoken to other employers 
they're not going to hire people just because they've got an esports degree. And there's this like self-righteousness that comes across with some of these students at the mm. moment when they do apply for jobs or like part-time jobs is that, well, I have an esports degree, so I'm the obvious choice. It's like, there's a lot more that goes into that process than just the degree, particularly even if it's just an industry titled degree. So like, not to like ruin or be as pessimistic as some others, but like, there's some hard truths about the situation at the moment. I think what Rob hit on said, a really good point. Yeah. Can I just say what Heather said there? Because esports is so young, we don't have lecturer level people yet. The people I think of when I think of the veterans of the scene, OD, the Paul Shalliners of the world and so on, they're still working. They're still working in what they want to do, hosting, managing teams. We don't have these lecturers that may have stopped working in their field and thought, right, for the, the past, the, for the last five, ten years of my career, I'm going to teach students because that's what I want to do because esports is so young. And I think one of the exceptions, University of Chichester have got um, Ram Singh, who was a Team Dignitas player, and they've also got um, uh, FIFA caster uh, Brandon uh, Smith, I think it is. They've got him. Uh, that's that's really good to see because they've got that endemic experience, but we don't have enough of those people yet. We just don't have them. Right. And with all these universities cropping up, adding degrees, I do have the concern that they don't have that gaming knowledge or the experience. You're right, it's it won't be until another people. 10 or so years. Yeah, and I, and I think that that's the thing that um, I think universities need to, to really be careful of is, is their industry links. Um, ensuring that um, you know they do have hooks into various industries, so they can bring in guest lecturers, um, so that they can ensure uh, that their curriculum that they've created, that their course that they've created, even if it's just a, a module, um, is is accurate and relevant. And I think the difficulty that universities have is that um, you know they are big unwieldy beasts and it takes a lot of effort to change a curriculum to to create a course you know it's it's an 18 month process at a minimum um to, to go through all the the ways that it that needs to be uh, signed off and accredited um uh, as an institution um and so if you know you if the industry suddenly shifted hugely over the next year or so um which you know, we, we're always seeing in uh, esports changing fairly rapidly mm. um it means that obviously the, the course material that you're studying can quickly become somewhat irrelevant i think the the one caveat that i would say is that um you know most employers look at a university um a degree be that undergraduate or postgraduate as proof that you can learn at a certain level not so much necessarily hey i want those skills that you're learning exactly at that uh, at that degree um to transfer straight into my business um th there's there's two elements to that right you know that's certainly traditionally what uh, degree programs were for uh, since red brick universities um, and polytechnics became sort of more universities uh, you know you actually have a lot more vocational degrees nowadays um, but I you know I think that as long as the universities and you know particularly as a student if somebody you know you're applying to a degree program do your due diligence on the degree as well you know like look at the course and kind of go hey you know what I actually know quite a lot of this stuff that they're telling me in in the in the um, modules and um, I feel like I could learn some of that myself or, um, you know, who send them an email, who are your lecturers? What's their experience? Um, find out because it is really important as, as the others have, have been saying, um, you know, if you're going to university, any university in the UK, um, nowadays, you're going to pay a lot of money to, to do that. 
and um it's important that you that after three years you don't feel like you not got your value for money um it's really really important to have that i think actually on a job application it's been more important you know yeah i've got an esports degree or i've got you know a business degree with a part of esports whatever um Mm -hmm. it's been more important who you've been taught by than the actual degree and i guess then some some universities will have a better standing in terms of that degree means more than other universities because they Mm -hmm. foster on that certainly and and also be aware as a student that people like myself as an employer we know because there's not very many university degrees in the moment in the UK, who they are and who's been teaching them and, um, you know, whether or not it's going to be super relevant or not. So, um, yeah, do your due diligence on it. Cool. I think I'm going to, oh, I mean, go for it. Sorry, sorry, just a quick last 10 seconds. The thing that we always say, because we speak to a ton of prospective students uh, every day, really, and it's kind of like, don't just go to university and just get a degree. I think that's the one thing by the third time when I went, I realized that you actually had to do something else to stand out from the crowd. So I was like, university was the best decision I made because I got an internship at a professional club while I was studying. Um, And I think as long as you are getting towards the qualification, which is still super important and that isn't going to change, still probably the number one request on every job that comes through our platform is bachelor's degree. So it's still a massive part of what you need, but definitely make sure you're doing other things outside of just getting that degree. So instead of going out on the Wednesday night freshers thing or socials thing, um, be writing for other jobs, websites, be doing some freelance marketing, even be doing some volunteering if you can. Join the esports society, be the treasurer, like anything like that, right? It looks amazing on a resume. Yeah. Yeah. So that's it. Don't just rely on the degree. Definitely not. Mm -hmm. Cool. Um, that was amazing. Great, great. Thanks, guys. I actually run a bit longer than I thought. Um, we've got a few questions in chat. We'll just do a quick you know, Q&A and then we'll just end it there. So quick answers, mm-hmm. I guess, for these. But uh, one for Rob. Um, what's your thoughts on foreign hires, in the, I guess, for a UK job? But... Uh, yeah, no problem with it at yeah. all. Yeah. yeah. I think, you know, obviously, as an employer, uh, ensure that they have the right to work in the UK, which is somewhat of a... Uh, uh an open uh question uh with brexit yep. but but mm-hmm. for now we still have rules that that we can follow and we can stick to and um yeah absolutely and obviously a lot of that depends on um you know if they're going to be moving or not remote or not as well but um yeah mm. okay um in regards to new skills what would you recommend to bolster an existing set so let's say we uh, for example we have a you want to be better at project management what would you what would you, your advice be for um you know know, increasing project management skills i guess to help with that Uh, i'm a big fan of mentoring you know find someone who you can who can help you even when you you get you know i didn't realize this i wish i would have done this when i was younger it doesn't have to be someone you work for you could just make friends with someone outside ping them an email you know if you again if you don't ask you don't get and if someone receives, I don't know about you guys, but if you receive an email from someone saying, you know, I follow you, I admire your work, I love what you did here, I'd love to get some advice from you. You guys probably all get these kind of emails. I really like receiving those emails, and I do try and help where I can. And, you know, find a mentor. For me at British Esports now, even though I have all this experience in journalism, Andy Payne is a great mentor for me because he's a real games industry veteran. He might not be super, as experienced in esports, uh, some other people but he knows the games industry inside that and he knows how it works and he's very diplomatic and find people like that will that help in a specific skill 
that's that's difficult, isn't it? I guess you can do online training and stuff, but for me, I would say find a good mentor. That's there's some a, advice for me. The great thing is there's so many resources out there now, particularly as well. So like I'm more from the creative field, but like you can literally sit there for hours and hours and watch so many different tutorials and try new things mm. and, and, and and discover what you're really good at. But then there's also loads, I know currently COVID and, and not the ability to go out, there's particularly maybe for project management, I'm not the best for advice and probably Rob is, but like seizing an opportunity and seeing like someone like an Epic Land who like literally, hey, can I get involved in this ability and, and have exposure and, and, and have some level of responsibility in that exposure. You're going to be exposed to experiences that you've never done before. So therefore your skills change and, and develop. But I don't know, particularly for project management, but for creative, we have a wonderful world out there of resources that you can continue continuously shift. And you don't always have to have the best kit either to, to you know, improve your skills. Um, I'd agree with that. Uh, just a very last question for Rob again. Uh, no favoritism here. Who's your favourite hire ever? <laughs> Lol, who wrote that? Um, I'll tell you after. The UK. There you go. My favourite hire. I don't know. I don't. This is a really hard question because, like, sometimes you hire somebody um, who's perfect for a role on paper, and then they nail it, and you're like, "Oh, that was a really good hire." Um, and sometimes you take a chance on somebody, um, and again, they they nail the hire, or they nail the role. Um, but also, I've had experience where you know you hire somebody and and that, like quite good friends with them as well, and that's that's nice. So I, I guess it's kind of different. Um, I definitely couldn't say that like oh i've got a favorite person i feel, I feel like hired. i feel like that Can answer you, you patted yourself on the back there instead of uh instead of the hires but <laughs> i've got a great hire here i need to pat it's, myself on the back it's trust me, well trust me. <laughs> it does not always go well yeah it's such a it's a gamble it's such a huge it's a stressful process for both involved in yeah. Yeah. there's, a, there's a lot like, of things to take into consideration that you that you know to be honest you can't always get right and you know that's the thing about a hiring process and particularly when you're a smaller business and you can't rely on you know extensive rounds of interviews and you know uh, psychological profiling and things that like a lot of the bigger corporate businesses do um is you know you are going off on basically a first impression um and some people interview better than others i think the thing that i've always try and make sure that i do is uh try and not necessarily just look at how that interpersonal relationship was in in the interview and look beyond it look at obviously the cv and the experience and um try and ask questions that get to the bottom of what they're going to be like as a person within the company um, and that's really really important but it's not foolproof and you know absolutely have hired people who frankly have been disasters in the past and, they, and, they, and that's also on the inters just sorry i know we've run over but that's also on the interviewers uh, side of things that they may have not portrayed the job role or laid out the expectations correctly as well yep. so it's not always on the on the hire it can be on the hiring process or even the interview and not communicating yep. in a way that made it clear and that's why there's probation periods as well don't be alarmed if someone says hey you have a six-month probation period it's for you to find out whether you like the job or not and whether the employer to find out whether you're the right fit still and, and mm. performing to the level so there's a lot of things in that mix when you employ someone yeah and i'll just jump in to finish off with what we've started doing because we did have a couple of bad experiences 
over the last two years of people that look great on paper, but then when it came to the crunch, they, they were just ridiculous, to be honest. Um, it's just trying to set tasks that replicate as closely as possible what their responsibilities will mm. be. I know it's a lot easier for some roles than others, but um, particularly for our like social media facing roles, we can uh, we bring them on for at least one paid trial day where they'll basically go through what their typical day would look like. And you get a very good idea very quickly of where their strengths and weaknesses mm. are, um, their attitude throughout, because some of our work is pretty, it's pretty mind-numbing and it's a lot of data checking and lots of editing. Um, and I think that I would always recommend to try and test, but then you get into that debate of like, you can't ask too much without compensation. So we always would do paid trial days at the salary that we've mm. offered. I do understand not everyone can do that, but maybe even just like a shorter task or two is a good way of at least getting another thing to evaluate people on awesome i mean that was great guys thank you very much for your time um yeah i mean i'll, I'll put a shout out and chat just for everyone uh, go you know, check out their twitters and their um uh, and their companies that they have as well and uh, work for um but yeah thanks for your time guys um and this is a podcast series this is the third of the series if you want to uh, check out the other ones we've done. I'll just put it in the chat now. Uh, and we'll be doing more, especially on the industry as well. I would like to do like a caster one at some point. I'd like to do a, a, num a number of ones um, on other other endpoint, you know, games, maybe Rocket League or Quake or so on as well. Um, but yeah, check them out. And um, thanks for your time, guys. And I'm going to go host one of our streamers now. But cheers, guys. Thanks, Pete. Thanks, everyone. Thanks, everyone. Bye. Thanks, everyone. Cheers, Bye.